Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The recent film Oppenheimer brought America's attention back to World War II, specifically the making of the first atomic bomb. Physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer had been tasked with this project that we now know as the Manhattan Project. The project to create a nuclear bomb and from that development of a completely new industry, the kind of nuclear industry, which didn't exist before World War II. And shortly after World War II, grew extremely fast. It grew to overtake General Motors in terms of the number of workers employed. So there are hundreds of thousands of workers who were involved in the development of nuclear fuels, the production of weapons, and then after that, nuclear propulsion for submarines and ships and nuclear power generation, development of reactors. That's Dr. David Richardson, professor of environmental and occupational health at the University of California at Irvine. He says that as America's nuclear industry boomed, a few other countries like France and the UK soon followed suit. And even in these early days, certain safety measures were taken to help keep workers safe. For example, anyone who entered a federal nuclear lab had to wear a radiation monitoring device called a personal dosimeter. In the old days, that used to be photographic film that got darker as you were exposed to more radiation. As it was passing through your badge, it would also pass through your body. And proportional to how dark it got, it was like an X-ray film. It got darker and darker as radiation was passing through it. And so that became the basis for um, getting an estimate of how much radiation Jane versus John got on the job. Every month or quarter, you would develop the film and say, how dark did it get? This technology is still used today, but has been updated and now fits inside each worker's badge. It measures radiation in units of gray. It's a metric system, so a gray can be divided down into milligray. So a thousand milligray would be one gray, just like a thousand milliliters would be one liter. There are two categories of radiation, ionizing and non-ionizing. Non-ionizing radiation is used in household items like microwaves and lights. But ionizing radiation, like in x-rays and CT scans, is what causes serious health issues. It's been known for a long time that exposure to ionizing radiation can cause cancer. Probably the landmark study is the study of the atomic bomb survivors in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. And they're part of what's called the lifespan study. So they've been followed since shortly after World War II up till today. 
And while this research has provided incredible insight into the health effects of surviving an atomic bomb blast, Richardson says people today are experiencing a different phenomenon. Instead of one extreme exposure to ionizing radiation, many of us, including nuclear workers and members of the public, are being repeatedly exposed to low-dose radiation. We know radiation can cause cancer under certain high-dose scenarios like a bomb blast or radiotherapy treatment. But the questions are, are there risks? And if so, how large are those risks from the kind of more routine low-dose exposures that we might get at work or when we visit a doctor? Dr. Mina McCary is an interventional radiologist at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. He says that aside from cancer, some other known effects of long-term, low-dose radiation exposure are radiation cataracts in the eyes, impaired memory and cognition, and negative effects on the immune system. And we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of health risks. Radiation or x-rays, they're basically odorless, tasteless, You can't see them, you can't smell them, you can't taste them. And a lot of times their side effects take years to show. So that makes them even more dangerous than anything else we get exposed to. There's a wide range of jobs that fall under the nuclear umbrella. For example, reactor operators, nuclear power plant and weapons production workers, and astronauts. In the medical profession, there's a lot of people who work with radiation. So they might be what's called a rad tech, somebody who's taking x-rays of patients, or a physician who's involved in interventional cardiology, where they need to kind of view the patient as they're doing the procedure. And so they use a radiation source to kind of get a real-time image of what's happening inside somebody. Even pilots need to be concerned about radiation exposure due to the cosmic rays they encounter in high altitudes. But if all of these workers are at a greater risk for developing cancer and other health issues, why does the nuclear industry still exist? Often when we recognize something as, let's say we identify that it's a carcinogen, that's it's an agent which can cause cancer, the move will be to remove or replace a known carcinogen with a less dangerous substitute. And so over time, hopefully the progress is we identify causes of cancer, we kind of minimize the exposure. And so overall, the population is getting less and less exposed to it. That's not the case with ionizing radiation. I mean, recently, kind of the general public exposure to radiation has increased because we're using more and more of it in the medical field. So with the rise of CT examinations, for example, there's been a substantial increase in the general American's dose of radiation. And instead of trying to find a substitute for ionizing radiation, we've progressively increased safety practices. However, Richardson says it's been a slow evolution of lowering the exposure standards. The International Commission on Radiological Protection is an independent organization that creates safety guidelines to protect against ionizing radiation. And though avoiding all contact is the ideal situation, these recommendations walk a thin line of keeping people safe while keeping the industry up and running. We have kind of progressively been having tighter standards, but part of that's there's cost benefits. So we say, what are the risks and what can we reasonably achieve in terms of in a medical or occupational setting to kind of get down to those? And we've been getting, doing better about reducing kind of the amount of exposures, at least in the workplace, that people reasonably can kind of get and still achieve the job that they need to get done. 
For example, ionizing radiation is essential to so many medical practices that getting rid of it would set us back tremendously. So to help stay healthy, McCary says medical professionals have a long list of safety measures. But no matter how many safety precautions are taken, workers are still being exposed. Richardson wanted to know what the cancer risk is for different nuclear occupations and if increased exposure correlates to increased risk. He's an internationally recognized expert in occupational health, and his research aims to guide employers and policymakers in building safe working environments. So that's the challenge for the employers is how to do that. And what we're helping them with, I hope, is getting them to understand what the magnitude of the risk is from those exposures. And then they have the challenge and the responsibility of figuring out how the work can get done in a way that does the best possible to protect the people on the job so that they can do their job safely and they can have a long career in the industry and yet not bear an undue burden of disease from accepting that job. Richardson recently worked on a study published in the British Medical Journal that was a collaboration between America, France, and the UK. The researchers compiled records for more than 300,000 nuclear workers, going all the way back to the Manhattan Project. So what we found was about a 50% increase in the rate of cancer for every gray of exposure they received on the job. On the one hand, that can seem like a lot, but most of the workers were not receiving a gray The current U.S. limit for occupational exposure is around one-fourth of a gray. And though Richardson says most of the workers they've studied weren't receiving anything close to a full gray exposure, they discovered that the amount of radiation exposure proportionately increased their cancer risk. And why we were interested in that is because this was not like an atomic bomb blast. Most of the workers were very well protected from radiation. They were getting low doses of radiation, but... Year after year, they're accruing kind of a a cumulative dose. The dose gets bigger over time. And those who accrued higher cumulative doses have higher rates of cancer. Which is important information for people who are involved in creating occupational standards for long-term, low-dose careers. And though this will help fine-tune exposure regulations for workers, the public's exposure to ionizing radiation has dramatically increased over the years. McCary contributes this rise to diagnostic procedures. Since the advent of CAT scans, and CAT scans are basically, it's a scan that has multiple x-rays in it, and then it creates an image that looks inside the body. The rate of utilization has skyrocketed because in the past, you know, somebody has stomach pain, you have to examine them and you may or may not be correct, and you have to follow and get lab tests and wait. Now you can get a CAT scan immediately and look inside the body and know exactly what they have, and if it's something serious or not, and get to the next step. Making it a very convenient tool. But McCary says diagnostic testing isn't the only worry. When a patient gets one x-ray, that's just one test to diagnose a problem. And then we also use x-rays, the actual energy of the x-rays, to, in real time, look inside the body to do a procedure or to deliver a treatment. When we do treatments like a heart cath, for example, where somebody has a heart attack and they go in and they open the blocked vessel and they put a stent, for example, to open the flow. They're using continuous x-rays during that time to look inside the body so they can diagnose and treat. That's different from one x-ray that is being used in one time shot to diagnose something. McCary says physicians can use lower energy x-rays periodically throughout the procedure to minimize exposure. But as Richardson's paper proved, even minimal exposure can increase the cancer risk. 
McCary says medical professionals need to be educated on the safety measures, especially since it doesn't look like we'll be finding a substitute for ionizing radiation anytime soon. Since the advent of x-rays, we've had additional modalities that were invented, like ultrasound and MRIs, but nothing has really replaced x-rays. But, you know, perhaps things that excite me about the future are artificial intelligence, also robotics, you know, maybe instead of having a human get close and get exposed to these things, maybe a robot can do some of the things that allow that exposure. So then you have reduced your risk. And then maybe artificial intelligence can help us, you know, stratify patients, can help us optimize our protocols, can help us with maybe post-processing of the images so we can get images that are good without giving as much x-rays. But I think the future is to be, you know, we don't know, but I think x-rays will always have a role. You can find more information about Dr. Mina McCary, Dr. David Richardson, and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. Our writer-producer is Kristen Farah. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. I'm Elizabeth Westfield. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal... I think it's really important to still understand that you can fully participate in your life. It may not look the same or feel the same, but a lot is still possible. Don't let multiple sclerosis keep you from living your life. Then, why would an innocent person confess to a crime they didn't commit? This is an innocent person who's been misidentified as guilty. It becomes a very dangerous situation for that innocent suspect. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. I'm Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. The gap between what they make and what we make has grown so wide that it cannot justify our current conditions. They can afford to pay us and we've had enough. The average U.S. auto worker makes $28 an hour. Compare this to the $21 million the CEO of Ford received last year. Then... We all live on a spectrum. We all get a little down here and there. We might all get a little anxious here and there. That's the human experience. Getting ahead of any seasonal affective disorder symptoms this year. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.